everyone. My name is Cole McGee. I'm the youth pastor at Redemption Church in Olathe, Kansas. Uh, and I'm here with two special guests. I'll let them introduce themselves. Um, but we are the U18 team at Redemption for now. For now. Because uh, we are, and we'll probably talk about this. Uh, there's going to be a few changes this summer. But before we get into all that, uh, I would like to introduce you to the team. I am, as I said, I'm calling the youth pastor. Um, let's start with Valerie. Valerie, uh, introduce yourself. What do you do? Like, what's your job? And then what is your role at Redemption? And uh, yeah, go for it. Okay. Well, as he said, my name is Valerie McGee. I also uh, happen to be married to Cole McGee, who was just talking, but I am the elementary coordinator at Redemption Church. So I get to work with the students who are um, kindergarten through fourth grade. Okay. And Nicole. Yeah. So my Wait, name do you is want Nicole. more? Do you have more, Valerie? No, I said, is that what you wanted to know? That's exactly what I wanted to know. Okay. Nicole? Uh, my name is Nicole Green, and I work with the kids at Redemption Church infants through preschool. Um, so for the most part, that is like um, six weeks through until they go to kindergarten. Okay. Uh, and uh, Nicole is um, going to be done. Nicole's quitting, and she's running away. <laughs> She's leaving forever. Uh, Nicole, you are. You're like, you're well, going to step not, down. And I'm not running that's away. Gonna be, uh, you're not, that's true. You're not running away. But you are stepping down, and it's going to be a huge loss, and it's well-earned. Like, you've done this for how many years? You know, I don't even know, but I'm thinking about nine, because I think Oscar was in the preschool room when I started. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so then what is the, what was redemption like when you started? Well, we were meeting in a school and we had to, you know, set up and tear everything down every week. Did so you, it's a lot, was your it's a lot different. Room, like, was your preschool room literally like just barriers or did you have a room? Um, it depended. We were on, we were in lots of different buildings. So it kind of depended on the building. And I did a lot, so, I did infants for a while as well. So I've kind of done a lot with the younger kids and I did elementary for a while as well before I did preschool. Preschool's always been the age of kids that I like the most that are not my own. <laughs> so then you, uh, you, you start out doing that um, in infants. You slowly move into preschool? Yeah, you know, I think actually I did, um, I think I was a small group leader in the elementary room. Actually, my first small group was um, had Heidi Schmidt in it. Um, uh, I think they, she was in kindergartner. That's weird. That's my first senior class at Redemption. Oh, yeah. So, and ironically, um, we're, uh, looking for small group leaders in elementary again. Oh. <laughs> and nicely done. Um, so yeah, I did that. And then I think I had my first child and then felt like I needed to help out um, in the infant room cause they needed volunteers at that age. And so I just kind of started helping out wherever and, um, eventually did, um, got into the preschool room 
kind of just because the person who was kind of leading the room at that, at that time, we had an elementary, the person who was over like uh, infants all the way through elementary. And then she had some people under her volunteers under her. So I started working with the person who was working, who was leading the preschool room at that time. And she moved away and I was asked to do that role. And I said, yes. And, and it kind of turned into then a part-time, you know, a part-time job kept, as opposed to just a volunteer. It. Yeah. And here, and then I was, and I loved it. I love the curriculum we do in there and I love the kids. So. Okay. So that sets up kind of what I want to talk about. Um, one of the things I wanted to do and have this conversation is um, the reasons I want to have this conversation is because I, we're all, it seems as though, I mean, I am constantly thinking about it partly because, you know, it's my full-time job, but, um, I am trying to figure out how to do ministry in this period of time where we can't really be together. And in terms of preschool and elementary ministry, in terms of club six and youth ministry, um, it is really difficult to have a bunch of kids in the, in the room together. And so we're trying to figure out what to do and how to do it. And, uh, so I want to set up a little bit about what we've what we kind of have walked ourselves into just very briefly kind of what redemption does and how we got here. And then also just talk about the difficulty that is trying to do and plan the U18 ministry uh, during the season and what does it look like going forward. And I just wanted to record the conversation because I think the more people that have listened and have thoughts on it, I think the more, the better we will be for it. Um, so um, Nicole, you come into the infant room. You guys don't do godly play yet. No, I don't do any curriculum in the infant or the toddler I'm sorry, room. I'm sorry. I meant the preschool room. I meant the preschool, preschool oh, room. Oh, preschool room. So, okay. So yeah. what was your question? You, start, you roll into the preschool room and you yes. guys are not doing, you're probably doing what, what every church was doing at the time. First look. Um, I don't even remember what we were doing. I just yeah. know it made my skin crawl a little bit. Uh, it was probably first look then. <laughs> no, that, 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 that's, it's not bad. It's just like, that's what it was. It is what it was. Uh, but you, do you led the charge really? This is before me or Valerie. You led the charge to do godly play? Um, well, the, the current person, uh, Tracy Stewart, who was there at the time, she and I read the book Formational Children's Ministry and – we're just looking actively looking for something that fit, that felt like a better fit for our church and what we were about. And in that we discovered godly play together and um, just decided to go for it. I think we actually started godly play when we moved into this building. And so it was a really good time to just start something brand new. And it was really awkward at first because it was such a change from what we had been doing, which is, you know, do a story and then kind of tell the kids the lesson from the story um, and do a project um, that was lined out, you know, and then parents come, which yeah. it was all, it was a very rigid formula, basically. So and yeah, read, then we started you, it was, play. It was formational children's ministry. That wasn't the Ivy Beckwith book. That's postmodern children's ministry. No, I think it is an Ivy. Be it is. It's Ivy Beckwith. Oh, it's a, okay. Okay. Yeah, so you read this book, and you and I think at the time Tracy Stewart and you 
you change all elementary and preschool stuff. You did you guys do this at the same time where you found the seasons curriculum and you found godly play? Was this um, at the same time? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think it all kind of we all changed everything when we moved into that building. So then what was it? What was it about it that you felt connected you? You said it was it felt more true to kind of how redemption was. Yeah. And then what was it for you that you connected to and said, this is the, this is what we're looking for in the seasons yeah. curriculum and the godly play stuff. Um, so the for, formational ch- children's ministry is to me more about working on the heart and the person and not filling your head with information or knowledge. And so I wasn't interested in just filling somebody's head with knowledge about what a Bible story said and then what it's supposed to mean. So really the whole impetus for that was we had a story I'm sure it was Abraham about how God gives families. And there was a three-year-old in there at the time whose name was Harrison. And mm-hmm. his mom was had, had died about a year ago. So here I am, like the lesson for this story was God gives families. And I, I how can I teach that to Harrison who whose mom has passed away? It just, mm-hmm. that was the first thing that I was like, this, this cannot be, this is not right for this is not right for right now. It's time to, you know, move on to, to something else. And so with the godly play curriculum, it was very much the other, it's a very, it's a Montessori based program where you just tell the story in an interesting way from the heart. And then we kind of just talk about the story Um, ask some questions to help the kids imagine themselves in the story and then let the kids do the work that's in the room that they feel called to do without there being a lesson that they're supposed to learn from it. You know, even Mm -hmm. as an adult, I can't, I can, can't usually verbalize what I learned from a sermon. So it's completely unfair of me to have a lesson that the kids are supposed to learn from a, um, a story of the Bible, um, each kid is in a totally different place in their lives. And so they are Mm -hmm. probably taking what they need from the story at that minute. So I I didn't feel right prescribing what each person was supposed to get from the story. Yeah. Yeah. This is what I think is, is the most confusing part when you talk to people about curriculums, even when I say curriculums, uh, it's not like you're choosing godly play and see in the seasons curriculum, the stuff that we use for elementary and even up in it, not for club six, but up in high school and middle school, the, um, the curriculums are based on an approach in a way of, of being in a way of, and how it, and it's based on some assumptions about how we access or how God access accesses us. <laughs> and, there are all these underlying assumptions that when you talk, when you reduce it down to which curriculum are you using, um, it, you're missing the core underlying structures, practices, and beliefs that make up why it is we choose that curriculum. 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm interested at naming in naming those things, especially for the U18 stuff, because I know a lot of new families, a lot of people that come into redemption, they can sense there's some sort of difference here. But um, I, and I don't, sometimes I just don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, we, here are the curriculums that we use. Mm-hmm. And I, but I don't want people to then think that that curriculum, that we have this big trust in this curriculum that's downloading all this information. These curriculums, I think the reason why they're so compelling to me is, is they are birthed out of different assumptions about what church is, what the human being is, how we learn, how God accesses us. And, and godly play in particular is the most, I don't know what the word would be, radical <laughs> in it its approach. It feels radical. It feels radical. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's the most radical in its approach. And um, it, I think, is the most honest about its beliefs about human beings and how God accesses us. Yeah, it, it, and I think that's why it felt so uncomfortable at first is because it was, a, for me personally, completely about letting go of control of what was going on in the room. All I could do, do was tell the story and then the kids got from it what they wanted. So I have no control. I had no control. There was no uh, marker for what, each of the kids might might get, or they might get nothing from the story, which is very difficult. Um, was very difficult change for me to make, and yeah. and that goes all the way through not just the story, but what they what they work on in the room and all the choices they have as far as where they sit in the room and how they encounter the story. So it was very much a letting go uh, for the leaders as well, and I would say it was awkward for at least two years. Oh yeah. And and for anyone new that walks in, it's awkward for them immediately. It's like you're watching yourself <laughs> go through it again. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And can um, I jump in there yeah. and just kind of piggyback on that? Like for me personally, I my full-time job is a teacher. And so I we always work with like our standards. Here's what the student and our objectives. Here's what the student is going to learn. Here's how I will know that they have learned it. And so that was probably the biggest, um, like you mentioned, Nicole, just release of control for me. I had to completely shift my way of thinking that in the elementary room, we are letting the story wash over the students and we're wondering about the story together. And I think back to what you said, um, like with previous curriculums, we're not trying to just fill their minds with facts and figures and have them memorize things and be able to quote things back to us, but rather we're working more on their hearts and that, that, um, yeah, we have to kind of trust that process sometimes, but knowing that a kid will hear a story maybe in kindergarten and it'll hit them very differently when they're in fifth grade, but it's okay for them to wonder about the story and to ask questions about the story. And I think speaking to what you just said about kind of giving up that control, I know that's that was very hard for me and still is, and I know that's hard for the small group leaders, but then you start to see the beauty in that too. I think that giving up control, part of the, that connects to the the 
this current season of the COVID stuff is um, I don't know what metrics we use to know if we're being effective. And I think that is the most disorienting part for me as we're trying to plan for how to do youth ministry, how to do children's ministry, preschool ministry, how to do family ministry when you just don't know what is what is effective. And then even when I say effective, <laughs> you, you catch yourself and you're like, well, you know, how can we be faithful to these families? How can we um, make something, do something, teach something, create a space where people can find the presence of God and, and God can find them? and uh or, and to connect with each other and it's difficult when you don't know at all you just put it out there and you don't know what's what's happening but we'll get to that in a second i actually want to get to valerie real quick nicole at this time does a lot of this work she leads a lot of the work in moving the preschool and elementary rooms into this new um, way of being and i mean that in the classrooms and way of teaching and um, I, it reminds me of Jesse's sermon last week that, you know, we don't think ourselves into new practices, into new uh, ways of life. You know, we, we practice ourselves into new ways of thinking. <laughs> and this is kind of at this flip happens from information download to um, practicing and being a part of together in community, our common life in a way that shapes our imaginations and connects us to the story of God. And, and helping us see our identities and, our, and ourselves as a part of it. This is a pretty big shift that happens. Valerie, you came in now, what, two years ago? Honestly, I don't remember. I think this will be my third either. promotion. So I think I think two years ago. Almost and you, you've already talked a little bit about how it was difficult for you to make that shift because of the control. But for you, um, you've helped, you've helped, I mean, you've been a part of my you've been part of the ministries that I've run, even when I did children's ministry. Um, what are some of your observations as, or, or stories about how this way of doing children's ministry was kind of disruptive? Or can you give us a story that kind of shapes for you or that gives some sort of structure to how you had to give up control? Yeah, I think, I think that, and I kind of, you know, already answered that maybe a little bit before, but I think for me growing up and the churches I've worked, like helped with in the past, volunteered at in the past, it has just been that information download. Um, you need to memorize these people in the Bible. You need to memorize um, like what happened and what their story is. And then here is the lesson. Here's what you take away from it. Um, and like Nicole mentioned earlier, that that just doesn't always work. And that's, um, we're assuming that one person who wrote this curriculum knew the right answer for this story. Um, and I just, it has really been beautiful for me to watch the students wonder about the story and ask questions about the story. And I think one time, so a lot of times the small group leaders get to really see the beauty of that. And I might not necessarily get to see that. But one time we had, it was like a really snowy day. And I think there was one other leader that was able to make it and myself and then like three kids. And so we still went through the story together, but then we wondered out loud all together just as a group. So I got to be 
a part of that and just hearing um, just as a community, a small community of elementary students and adults, I I just grew um, listening to their questions. And um, I think that that the community that is being formed down there as they wander together and as they tell goofy stories together and laugh together from week to week um, is is the church and it's beautiful. And I think that's been probably the hardest part of this quarantine for me with the elementary students is I can still kind of tell the story or have the small group leaders or the students tell the story and send that out to the families every week, but they're not getting to do that together. They're not getting to um, wonder together and talk together and check in with each other and then run through the halls of the church afterward mm-hmm. together. You know, they're missing they're missing that and I'm missing getting to do that with them. So I think that's been the part that we haven't been able to recreate virtually and don't have the answers for right now, maybe. And it, it does seem to be the thing that gives the most life and meaning to a lot of the work is the community. And I think that that is the thing that I think that's probably the biggest switch. And for me, the most difficult part in trying to plan the, the, these ministries and trying to, I don't know, think about how to pastor and be faithful to the, to our families is ultimately one of the big switches that seemed to happen under the surface at redemption was you download information for your personal relationship with Jesus and that individual relationship, you know, you make these commitments and you're right with God. But at no point in that process, especially as, as churches that I used to work at and curriculums that I used to work with and and even just how I plan my ministries, at no point in that process is there church. You don't really need it. You just kind of need to download information, learn some stuff, and then um, have this personal relationship with Jesus. And that's great for this time period. It's really great. I can just like create some curriculums and you can literally download it. <laughs> Teach your children, teach yourself, see the sermons, hear them, um, and then like, you know, adjust your relationship with God and pray some things and, you know, but at nowhere do you need church. And I think that the big shift is actually the church, each other, are the sacred um, elements that in some way we see God through and with each other that the church is the transformational agent that transforms us into who God is shaping us to become. And that I think for me is the most difficult aspect of planning right now is how do we in some way, um, how do we, how do we create that when we can't be together? I don't know. I was rambling. Valerie, Nicole, anybody? Well, I, sorry, this does not answer that question at all, but while you were talking, it made me think, you know, I, the downside to this time has been not being in that community together and all that goes with that. But on the upside, I think it's been really cool and beautiful to put the curriculum in the, excuse me, in the hands of the families um, and to see, and I've gotten some different messages and different pictures and stuff, but to kind of see the beauty that's coming out of the families going through this together. Um, You know, we get to be 
in a community one one day a week at the church in the elementary room. It's um, hard to only get to see them once a week, but the families are there um, part of their lives all the time. And so getting the parents getting to experience the um, curriculum with the kids and to hear their kids' questions and to be able to, you know, have that kind of impact their family and their formation as a family. Um, and then also a um, little plug for Jenny Evans' video about sacred space. Uh, that is a, a huge thing for our kids formationally in the elementary room, and they love it. And I I love it, but getting to do sacred space as a family and see the different um, kind of the different stations and the impact that has on the kids in the home, I think has been really cool for the parents too. So that's kind of been the one of the beautiful things that's come out of this. Yeah, yeah, cool. that's cool. No, I mean, I think you're, I think that's exactly right that especially for the godly play community and how they do their training, they, they flat out say that if you have a shortened church service or you don't have much time with the kids, what you cut out is the story. You cut out the lesson and you just do the work time to give the kids the community and you just do the feast time. Once again, more sitting around the table, sharing the feast, which is our communion together. So the community part is a huge part about godly play that is missing now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, like, I, I do think the positive of this time to what Valerie was saying is I hope that, man, I, I hope that parents see if I, I know there's a there's a family whose whose kid is in some way kind of imitating Valerie in the elementary room and is teaching her younger siblings, and I, I really would hope that the parents see maybe that they, there's a different way of that. I, I hope that they see that there's something happening um, in the way in which we teach, in the way we organize that room, that they they see a, a difference there. I hope they see the sacred space stuff is like really. Um, really sacred and uh dare i say surprising <laughs> that their children will sit for 40 minutes and do that mm-hmm. i hope they see that as kind of shocking um i do but man i i can't shake just the and maybe it's something that needs to adjust in me but this deep theological conviction that we are the sacraments for each other's lives. Like you see God through me and I see God in and through you. And, um, I, I hope that we don't lose that, but also we find a way, (laughs) we find a way to figure out how to, how to bring that to our children and to our fam, to our families and to each other. And I confess, I just don't know yet. Like it just feels as though the church is uh it's we've lost a thing, you know. Well, yeah, just, no, I, it's I, hard to I, pivot from from what we are so used to to something new when it's hard to know what that new thing is. It is a really good opportunity to instead of you know seeing the sacraments at church to be able to see sacraments in your everyday life 
but how how do we how do we get people to see that um, but that doesn't help the community and relational aspect of those sacraments but um, you know seeing the sacrament in sharing a meal together with your family at a slow pace, um, hearing a bird outside, you know, those can all be holy moments if we're attuned to them. Absolutely. Valerie? Yeah, I was just thinking, and in, in some ways, I mean, with all of this, you know, I we I Zoom with my family. I get on Zoom once a week with my family. But that that's not a substitute for being with them, nor do I want it to become a substitute for that. You know, I don't, I guess, and this is just me personally, I, I don't want to, I, I guess I'm in the tension of on one hand, I want to find a way to create the community that we have at the church or the community that I have with the, the communing with my family. But at the same time, I, I don't know that anything ever will be able to replace doing that in person, nor, nor do I really want it to, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's interesting. I will, we'll wrap this up here. Um, I think that I'm at attention. <laughs> I always used to say that, you know, my job is kind of ridiculous because parents often ask me as a youth pastor to, in about two hours a week, if that um, somehow help shape the spiritual lives of their children, you know, like two hours a week out of the entire week. <laughs> this is what I get. And I always thought that was kind of ridiculous. And now that it's gone, it is shocking. It is shocking what that two hours actually does. And I am at, I'm at a loss and to say, well, on one hand, it doesn't really, that two hours is not really that much. Cause I still think that's actually true. Like that two hours is, is not as much as, you know, that you're the time with the, your, the family, you know, but at the same time, man, I now with it being gone, have to say those two hours a week, those are deeply formational times and being with each other in a room together with, you know, a hundred plus people with you, with your, with, you know, with, for me and the teenagers teaching them, being with them, listening to their stories, doing the highs and lows. There's something really sacred and about that, that I miss. Like, I just feel a, a loss there. And uh, so I'm at this weird tension about that. Does it, do you guys feel that? Yeah. Definitely. It's, you know, being in the middle, it's hard to know what's next. It's hard to know what the right next move is. It's hard to pivot to something new since we don't know when this is going to end. We can't, you know, it'd be, it'd be almost easier if we knew it was going to be, it's going to be two more months or it's going to be six more months or who knows, you know, it's going to be another year. That would almost make it easier to plan or to know what to do, but we don't know that right now. Yeah. So we have to adjust our thinking and it's hard yeah, to change. It is hard. I want to invite uh, anyone who's listening, anyone who's made it this far, um, I would invite you to reach out to us and 
here, here's what I, I'm looking for. And, you know, Nicole, Val, you guys can totally chime in on this. I'm looking for not curriculum ideas um, because as we've been talking about, you know, curriculum's good and it is a it is a privilege to have this curriculum. But there has to be something about what it means to be the church and to be the people of God that is that goes deeper than our ability to pay for some material, right? There's something that I really want that I want to get at um, during this season and recreate that for our students. And if you have ideas of ways that we can create community amongst our kids um, that Obviously, Zoom calls and things like that are good. But I guess I'm just looking for really creative things that even if we don't use them, that can spark our imagination for ways of connecting our children together that they can be mindful of each other throughout the week or at least once a week. Um, from preschool, from from parents, from teenagers, If I just want to open that up to any ideas that you guys have. I would love to hear them. Any parting well, thoughts for you? I was just going to say, to be honest, I have a feeling that some of the families are already doing that. I know we have, like I said, that community that has just kind of naturally formed in the elementary room. I know the parents are probably already finding ways to connect their kids with the other kids in that community. So kind of sharing those ideas so we can pass that on to other people or. Yeah, well, good uh, grief. Let us know. What the heck? <laughs> Uh, Nicole, you're the, any any final words? I mean, um, hang in there, and we have to believe. You know, we have to know this is, although it may feel like it's never ending, it is a temporary state, and it will pass. This too shall pass. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Well, uh, Valerie, Nicole, thank you. Uh, hopefully, we can do this again. And Nicole. I just want to say thank you for all of your work. Yes, You've done a great job. And um, I hope parents eventually, a lot of parents, I don't know. A lot of parents probably know. You, you've already talked to your volunteers about this, yeah? Yes. Okay. And um, I'm actually, later at the end of this, uh, we're going to be talking to Mary Horde, who will be um, directing the preschool ministry stuff going forward. And we're going to get a little, you're going to get to know a little about Mary's background as I interview her. Um, it is crazy and wild. And uh, as in one of our staff meetings, Valerie, someone's at our door. Is that you? I'm, no, I'm still at work. Okay. Uh, I think that some, it'll be it, it, in our staff meeting, Mary was talking about church bombings that happened at her church. So, you know, she's had a very different life than we have. Uh, and that'll be really cool. But uh, okay. Valerie, Nicole, thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. Thank you. Peace. So we just finished the uh, interview with Valerie and Nicole earlier today. And now I'm here with Mary Horde, who is going to be taking over our preschool ministries uh, for Nicole Green. Mary, hello. How are you? Hey, I'm, I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm good. Uh, it is... I... Yeah, today was weird. Today was a weird day. I feel like this with the with the quarantine stuff. I feel like it's about every other day. Okay. Yeah. So what made it weird? I don't know. I I don't actually even know. I feel like every other day I get to the end of the day and I'm like, man, that was a weird day. Like that just flew by. I feel like I didn't do anything, but yet 
I was sitting at my desk all day working. Oh, and man. then other days, I'm like, that was a great day. I love quarantine. I don't know. It's very weird. It's yeah. very strange. Okay, so, Mary, I want to ask you a few questions. I want to kind of introduce you a bit. And I kind of want to pick your brain on where what your church history is, like kind of where you come from, kind of what your uh, what your you know church life upbringing is, and just let people kind of bring them into your who you are and your mind and what what you think about uh, when you think about preschoolers and and ministry. Uh, for you, where were you born? Okay, so here's what I know. <laughs> okay this, let's just get to the i'm gonna set this and then we're gonna get to it but like um, you lived in turkey for a long time five years five years okay mm-hmm. so where were you born and take us to like where what 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 were you doing in turkey <laughs> yeah okay i'll give you like the three to five minute version of my life and feel free to interrupt or speed me up or whatever you want the fact that you can do a three to five minute version impresses me <laughs> I don't know. Well, thank you. Um, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and I was, I went to a pretty traditional evangelical non-denominational church, um, did like Christian school and, uh, Awana club and all those different VBS, all those different things that a good little Christian Midwesterner would do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I know that intimately. <laughs> okay. Um, and I went actually, when I was in high school, I really wanted to go to a secular university because I just thought it was time to, like, I love God, um, but I wanted to really truly understand what it was like to not live life in the bubble, you know? And actually, I visited a lot of schools, and in the end, I really felt like God was calling me to this small Christian college in Indiana. Uh, so it's not what I was expecting, but I did. I would. I would say that I did not go out of fear, which was something I'm proud of. It was not what I was expecting, but it was. Yeah. I wasn't scared to go to another university. I just felt like that's where I was supposed to go. Um, sure. What was the college? Drew, Grace College. Oh yeah, I know what it is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do. Yeah, like, they have a good basketball team. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like slightly larger than MNU. You know. Yep. Um, and so uh, that was obviously a fairly easy transition for me. Um, it was in Indiana. It was a four-hour drive. I was independent enough, you know, but but um, I really was drawn to the college because it had some language programs I liked. So I did a Spanish education degree. Wonderful. And when I was there, I got to study for a semester in Argentina and a semester in Spain. And then I actually did two months of my student teaching in Turkey. And the reason I did it in Turkey was because by that time I had met Paul, who's now my husband, ah. and we were dating. And um, by the time I did my student teaching, we were engaged. So we got engaged. Paul didn't mess around. No. <laughs> actually, I think you know, when we first met, he was like, um, no, when we had our first date, he was like, I just want you to know, even though I'm a senior, this I'm I'm not focused on the M thing, <laughs> the M yes. word marriage. Yes. Sure, sure he was. But by the time I graduated two years later, um, we had been we had been engaged and we got married. So we we really yeah. truly didn't mess around in that sense. 
But um, anyway, I had the opportunity to live in Turkey with his parents for two months and um, just get to know them better and experience a little bit of what his background was like, even though he was back in Indiana, I got to live there. In Indiana, we actually went to a church that was um, a little bit like Redemption. Hmm. I think it caught a lot of people that were maybe on the fray or just wanted something different than mainstream. Um, It was a good church. We loved the people. I would say it it didn't have its act together. Like basically when we were in Turkey, it fizzled out. It just died. It wasn't self-sustaining. Yeah. Even though the people were very good, it just wasn't, um, it didn't have a solid foundation. Uh, so anyway, the church kind of fizzled and died. Um, but it was, again, it was a little bit like redemption when, uh, basically we moved to Turkey because we felt like what we hadn't, well, when Paul also, I think on our first date, he said, just so you know, I don't plan to move back to Turkey, but um, I don't want to close that door. And if you're not interested in that potential, then we shouldn't date. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was, I, you know, set to study abroad and everything. I'm like, yeah, dude, bring it on. But we didn't have any plans to go to Turkey. Um, but then we went to this conference actually on Turkey, and they was talking about how they really needed Turkish speakers and counselors and teachers. And Paul is a Turkish speaking counselor and I am a teacher. So we, we, we just had a real. Those are actually the moments to me that just make me mad. I'm always like, really? Like there's, (laughs) there's no one else that can do this. Like this is, you need these two specific things. Like, but it was exciting. I mean, we were both like, uh, did, did did you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. Did you hear that? So we started pursuing that. And then a couple years later, we moved to Turkey. Um, when we were there, as far as church goes, we were a part of the only Protestant church in Ankara. It was called the International Protestant Church of Ankara. Of course. And one, thing we, yeah, one thing we loved about it was that it was, I mean, it was a catch-all. that You had Baptists, Charismatics, you had um, conservative I don't know, Lutherans. And then you had, I don't know what, you had everything. And there were Europeans, Americans, Africans, and this, the the, vast majority was American, but you had it all basically. And uh, the church had its act together in many ways uh, in that sense, where it was kind of like they didn't, um, you couldn't pick hills to die on about a lot of things. And so it really was, are you still there? Sorry, my. Yeah, my no, yeah, you're good. It, it was really a picture to us of the body of Christ. That's awesome. Um, and of course, there were little things, plenty of things that some people, you know, you never worship meant different things to different people, and different people sure. took different theological stances on things. But it was a really good picture of the body of Christ. Yeah. Um, one thing, my father-in-law, who actually was in Turkey with us, his. Paul's parents were still there with us. He said, basically, like, if you ever get too comfortable at our church, let us know because we're doing something wrong. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the being like, there, if you feel entirely comfortable and somebody else who was very from a very different background than you is not comfortable at all. So yeah. we appreciated that a lot. It was actually there. My mother-in-law 
um, attended a godly trace, godly play training, and she got really excited about it and brought it to the church, but to the Turkish service that she was a part of. So I did like informal training under her. Yeah. And then I started doing godly play in the preschool where I was volunteering. Um, yeah. So it went again, even the, everything was volunteer based. So there wasn't even really a, a curriculum, basically every volunteer sure. kind of did what they wanted for better or worse. But in our, for example, in the preschool where I was, there was, we were working through Luke, I think it was, but one of the gospels. And so we would touch base with, okay, I taught this story and the next person would go on to the next story and the next story. But what I tried to do was godly play, real godly play story or not. I tried to make my own. I'd write a story with it and I'd write the, I wonder questions at the end, um, and then I would find props around the house. Oftentimes I ended up using Legos for people or yeah. if they're really the godly play story associated with it, I'd borrow my mother-in-law's things. Um, so that's where I got introduced to it. And yeah, it's, it's an, in, I like it. It has been a change given my background. It has been a change to think, well, it shouldn't, shouldn't somebody teach them? Isn't this factual? Isn't this truthful stuff that we need to, like you said, before we started recording about like just downloading information. Yeah. I have to find that, but they need to have that information downloaded thing in my mind. Right. Right. Um, that is what we were, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit with uh, Nicole and Valerie earlier, but that is the, uh, the big, in some ways the theological shift that happened for redemption and for the UAT ministries. And what I see actually happening a lot across ministries in, in the U S um, in particular is there is a shift happening where people, you know, you can, you can download information. You can, you can, you can shape these kids brains and thoughts and thing on things. And, uh, they can have this relationship with Jesus. They can quote scripture, but they don't need the church. Like there's just nothing. There's just no, there's no, the people of God don't really factor into that. And so it's just always funny that every curriculum on the planet is always going, how do we keep kids, you know, connected to the church between the ages of 20 and 30? And like, it's this whole huge thing of like, here's this curriculum that's going to help you connect kids to, you know, the faith quote, 20 to 30 and realizing like, oh, the reason we're having these conversations and issues and problems and trying to strategize how to do this is because we're, we've built it on a, the, a, a theology of what it means to be the church or what it means to have a quote relationship with God. And, mm. and we've built it on this theology that might be leading us in a direction that ultimately is kind of a dead end and going back then and saying, okay, what if the people of God are a kind of sacrament with which we can um, experience and see and know and learn to be the people of God and to experience God and the spirit of God pulling us to become who God is shaping us to be. And the yeah. idea that we can create classroom spaces, I, I, I've seen godly play happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that you, you are not in control of the room and the kids are allowed to play with the story of God and to do work and eat the feast or quote communion. Mm-hmm. And I have been in the room where actually something happens to me as I am giving up control and realizing, wow, you know, like my integration into this community 
I have to give up a little bit of control. Like this is the thing I actually have to learn. For the storyteller, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're also with Godly Play, you're not even supposed to. I, this may sound wrong, but be kind of too expressive because you're supposed to put it in a very calm way that allows them to read what they want to into it. Yeah. You have to let them play with it, <laughs> play with the yeah. words, the story. Yeah. Uh, let their brain just go where it goes. And preschoolers yeah. are so free to do that. It's just really, it's really beautiful. And as that, you know, unfolds, I out to elementary and the seasons curriculum we use, all of the curriculums and the strategies and all this stuff are built on what I really want to, to you know, address to everybody is like, it's built upon a, an ecclesiology. In other words, you know, what the church is a theological understanding of the church. And that is that the, you know, the people of God are almost our geographical location, our proximity to each other matters mm-hmm. a lot in our, how we, um, uh, how we are spiritually forming each other. And this yeah. is the difficult thing. Like this is the difficult thing about the quarantine stuff. And mm-hmm. we don't get to be close and that's so difficult to plan. And I, I'm going to get back to you real quick because I want, you said this, I want you to unpack this for me a bit. You said this uh-huh. in a staff meeting. You said that there was like churches in Turkey that were being bombed and you have uh-huh. experienced a bit of what this is like for the church. Can yeah. So the churches weren't being bombed, but it was around the time of ISIS. And at the same time, there's a, um, a uh, well, it's, Kurdish terrorist group, kind of radical terrorist group, because they want their independence from Turkey. And so there were these bombings happening just in places where there were mass gatherings, for example, just in a busy downtown area. Um, Yeah, there's like a threat of it. Yeah, so about once a month, an actual bomb did go off in our city, you know, within 10, 15 minutes of us in places that were crowded. And there, there was uncertainty about whether the church would be a target because obviously there's a bunch of foreigners there. And then also, again, it was a place, a predictable place where there would be a crowd nonetheless. Sure. So we, we actually had um, like a metal detector at the, like somebody with a wand, a metal detector wand with yeah. the church. And Turkish police would actually come by. Um, and check so like, on things. You had like hand sanitizer stations set up for us. To- <laughs> that was our version of it. You know? Yeah. But when the threat got really intense, it was just a little bit before Easter, like maybe four years ago. And um, there was a big struggle because that was new for the church. Like, what do we do? Because we don't want to live in fear, but we want to be careful, cautious. Um, and so there were, there was a time, a couple months when we did church in houses. So we didn't have the, the big difference being, we didn't have, um, like live casts, um, of, of, of a sermon. It was just that we got together with groups, with a small group or with somebody said, I live in this area of town. Whoever wants to can come here. And I live in this area of town. I'm welcoming people into my home. And then basically there would be some semblance, however that group wanted to, of doing community together for church for, for yeah. that one. And it did happen, including over Easter, which was strange again. Yeah. Um, I remember, yeah. go, go ahead. Do you have something else? No, no, no. That was just, it was very similar and in some ways very different to the, um, 
you know, the COVID-19 quarantine. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me, I, I've been thinking about, you know, you know, we have gone round and round and round about like, what do we do? How do we, how do we do ministry in this time period? And how do, how do we be the church to each other, for each other, with each other? when we really can't be with each other. <laughs> um, right, right. And, uh, you know, we can be in really, you know, hyper micro small groups or whatever, or at least I don't know if we can be, but everyone seems to kind of still do that anyway. <laughs> right. Um, I, I remember having this conversation with Paul one time. It was when you guys first came to the church and he mm-hmm. was talking about the differences in Turkish culture and yeah, how man. that has shaped him and, how he's able to kind of see outside the U S culture and go, Oh, this is going to, this is kind of a problem that, uh, you know, a lot of Americans can't see, but because I grew up over here, I can see it. And he was talking about how, I mean, obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but he was saying something, it stuck with me that Turkish people, they, their drive is not so much stuff and things and, independence and security it's friendship their drives are like we want to we don't want to be alone Mm -hmm. and um how how has that talk about that a little bit like how has that how did that help create the scenario for the church how did that help the church in turkey for you guys survive in a period where you couldn't really be together um well, I'll tell you, in some ways it was relevant and in some ways it wasn't because we went to the international service. There was an international service and a Turkish service and a Korean service at the time. Uh, I think and a Farsi one. So, so anyway, lots of different people using the building. Um, as far as the international one went, everyone was an English speaker and many people came from similar cultural backgrounds. So there were some Turks that went to that service, but not too many. And they were fairly... Western, shall I say, for lack of a better description. Um, So we didn't necessarily have a very direct Turkish influence. I will say, though, however, that the the people who were there obviously are there and living in Turkey, so they have to understand and, and work with Turkish culture. So I think things are slower there and there are a lot more people centered there so i don't know how much i hadn't thought about that before it's a good question but i don't know how much it affected it or not but i think people just simply aren't as busy and it Hmm. wasn't as hard to take the time perhaps to there wasn't a threat of of getting sick either but it was easy to invite people into your home and spend like, like let's say do church together and do lunch together. And then if you have kids, let the kids play for a couple of hours, because I don't, I don't know again, how much of that was directly influenced by Turkey or not, but we didn't have, for example, we didn't have those sports to rush off to on Sunday afternoons. It's just mm. not really typically a thing there, or we didn't have, most of us didn't have relatives to go visit or, you know what I mean? It was just people yeah. had the time. And so it was easy to make the time. People had the time. That's a great no, answer. No, that's good. People had the time. So it's easy to make the time is logically just so obviously true. But yeah. I think for us, uh, I'm thinking about this whole quarantine thing and how I feel this pressure to 
like get everything back to normal, get everything back to normal. And I remember thinking, you know what, previously, what was normal in terms of, you know, especially kids and what kids mm-hmm. complained about and sit in my office and talk about is I'm so busy. I'm so stressed out. Yeah. I don't like this yet. They want to get back to it. And so I'm really yeah. fascinated about what it is that's they're wanting to get back to when I remember all of them saying they hated it. <laughs> right. It's always greener on the other side. Yeah. Uh, yeah I do hope that people take this as a eye opening way to kind of see it's okay to slow down. It's really, truly okay. But yeah. that's, I mean, I'll just, you can do what you want with this information. But when we came, uh, when we came to Kansas from Turkey, we, we don't have any family in the area. The closest is in Ohio, which is a 10 hour drive. And, um, our kids are young enough that they weren't involved in big activities anyway. And so we had tons of time on our hands. Um, and we found that people were really friendly and were really happy to talk about getting together, but nobody, almost nobody seemed to have the time to actually do it. Yeah. So it's it's a problem. I'm church or not. I mean, this was true for redemption, but, but I don't mean it exclusively. I think it's a, I was going to say pandemic, but that's maybe a cultural that's cultural problem. But it, is, it is. So, um, yeah, I feel, it with, I feel it with me. Like I, I, there's so many people. I'm like, yes, I do want to. And then two weeks later, I'm like, man, I, I don't know when, I don't know when. Yeah. I don't know, and we, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> people schedule that's a month or a month and a half out in advance. And we were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> when you have time and I, and I get, we didn't, we don't have family in the area and we don't have older kids. So I, I don't say that as in a way that's like, Oh man, you are totally doing the wrong thing and messing up. But that was an eye opener moving from Turkey where it is really people oriented and everything just moves slower. It just does to being here and which could have been Ohio or California or you name it. It wasn't a Kansas specific thing or a redemption specific thing, but yeah, to where everybody was super friendly, but nobody had any time. You know, my, my mom always said, we, we moved here from Florida. Mm-hmm. We have no family here whatsoever. <clears throat> my mom always said people in the Midwest, um, they are the first, if they're, if they see your house is on fire, um, uh-huh. they're the first people there to help you. But if you're, if the flames, if they can see the smoke from the flames, you live way too close. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a great phrase. Was, she's from like the South. So she's like, we're always up in people's business and there wasn't a lot to do. And here, you know, everyone's like, oh, hey, how you doing? But like, everyone's so, so private. So yeah, strange. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, yeah, Mary, thank you. Yeah. I'm really excited no. for you to join staff. I'm sorry you're joining staff at this period of time. Um, yeah, I know I'm- that. I'm not sorry. I think it's, it gives me time and, and it gives me a lot of opportunity to almost train and get to know you guys. So it's That's strange, true. but I'm not sorry. Oh, good. I just hope that <laughs> the anxiety that we all have is we're trying to figure out what to do or the anxiety yeah. that I have as a, as a camera stops working and I have to go buy a new camera or something. Cause the, the entire church is built on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> like the anxiety that I have, I hope as I, I don't pass that on, but like I, it's a fascinating time and I do feel this pressure to figure out how do we, how do we be faithful to people? And I'm, I'm sensing that 
you know, it might have something to do with my weird desire to always be doing something. And, you know, as we finished up in our conversation, I did kind of, it did occur to me like, huh, I wonder if I feel all this pressure to do stuff because I too kind of want things to go back to normal, even though I just, I can acknowledge that my life is sped up to a thousand and I could use some time to slow down. Yeah. Anyways. One thing I'll throw in here real quick. Um, I didn't want to interrupt you though. No, Sorry. Do you want to? No, no, no. Uh, I was talking to somebody last week and uh, we were talking about, I think it was in the context of this, but I don't actually remember the context, but basically imagining holding both your hands out and then visualizing or writing down kind of what do you want to hold on to from this? And what do you want to let go of from this? And actually, you know, really evaluating things because there are truly good things from this. And then there are things that we've, can let go of um, mm-hmm. when we return back to normal and there are things we can keep because they're super valuable to us. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of, that was my challenge for this week is, is sitting down to really evaluate, okay, what, what is worth keeping and what is worth letting go of when we return back to normal? That's good. Um, and there, and, and what, there are also these weird things that I use uh-huh. that have been taken from me that, that mask some of the problems that I have in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like, now that I don't have them, I'm just faced with the horror of these problems. One of them being <laughs> sport. Sports is like the perfect example. Uh-huh. Like I just have like all of this. I mean, I watched the Jordan documentary and it was like, it was like crack. You're just like sports. What is this? And I'm realizing like, oh, you know, sports eats up a lot of my time. It eats up a lot of my brain space and I use it for something. And now that it's not there. I am in a different brain state. Like things are, things are different. And interesting. It is really interesting. But to your point, like being mindful of that kind of stuff, what's going on in you yeah. is something that I probably need to journal about, but you know, journaling is not a discipline I've developed very well. I'm not great at either, but I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking like a pros and cons list for me. I'm not thinking oh, of it. We're just going that. basic listing. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> I keep it simple. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Okay, Mary, thank you. I am grateful again that you're coming on staff. And um, hopefully this podcast has been good as an introduction to to Mary Horde, but also as um, just also an introduction and more of, I guess, an invitation, as I said earlier, for you to listen. If you have ideas, if things come up in your head that you really, not again, not so much curriculum type things that we can uh, create and download and send out to people, but um, ways of being together, ways of connecting, ways of being mindful of each other's presence in our life, even when we can't really be together. Um, if you have ideas for that, stuff that we could do, um, let us know. And we do know about the Zoom thing. We know that we could just do a Zoom calls with each other. Um, but it, I think that it would be really good for us to try to think creatively as a group and come up with ways to be together. And in some ways, by doing the work of thinking together about this problem, we are kind of being together. So I would encourage you to uh, participate with us. Uh, okay, for Mary Horde and uh, I'm Paul McGee. Thank you so much. Peace. Thank you.